So, okay, we'll reset. Just okay. All right. So, my chair, my chair, it, it was shaking. Um, I was in the kitchen or the the dining room of my supervisors and fellow missionaries in Ecuador, and we were sitting eating a, ma- a meal, and my chair began to to shake a bit, and I was like, "What is going on?" And we were going through just a minor earthquake, minor, totally minor earthquake. But it was the first time I'd experienced that. And there's something, when there's something that you expect to be unmovable and unshaking, even rattles just a little bit, it's unnerving. And I know some of you have been probably through um, much larger earthquakes. We have some Californian um, people here that have walked through that, and it's a little more than a shaking of a chair, but there's just something unnerving about the ground moving underneath you when it's not supposed to. When the unshakable um, becomes shakable, it does. It sets us off, and things in life is the same thing. We have things that come through our life that we think are solid and secure, and we realize they're not quite as secure, and there's shaking that goes in our life, and, and it can be so unnerving, but I pray that in our life, um, when things are shaken and when things are stirred in ways that we did not expect, that it pushes us and drives us closer to the one who is our stronghold, our God who is not shaken, who is unshakable, and he is that stronghold that we can run to. And Psalm 27 is a lot about this, about our unshakable incomparable God that we have, and we're reminded of that in, in this psalm as we walk through it. And this psalm is one that's really, it can be easily broken up into two major parts, and we're actually just going to do the first major part today, but the psalm begins, and it begins with this song of praise, of great trust and great confidence in God, and then it follows by a section that's this lament before God, a, a cry to God. It's a prayer to God of, of rescue, um, of desperation and need. So there's this great cry that goes out to God. So we see kind of this praise of confidence and then a cry out, God, show your face to me. And some have looked at some of the really scholarly people, those critical scholars that come to it, and they say, well, we, we must have two different psalms from two different authors put together, and they've smushed them together. No, no, I don't think so. Um, I... I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, David here begins, and he talks about who God is and what God has done, and he he builds this solid foundation of these truths that he knows to be true, and he sings praise and confidence in them. It's a bit like a pastor and author, um, Kent Hughes, that says, sometimes we need to challenge ourselves to believe what we believe. And that's a prayer sometimes, Lord, help me to believe what I believe. And that's almost how he begins here, and he builds this foundation. And then upon this foundation, he cries out to God for help. God! Where's your face? Show your face to me. So there's a crying out that happens, but it's built upon the foundation of knowing who God is and, and what he does. So I think this makes sense. And we often, even in our life, we go times sometimes from prayer or praise to despair, from despair to praise within a, a month or a week or a day or an hour or a single prayer. So it doesn't surprise us. And, and we see this wrestling here and the psalms we love them they help us know that we're not unique or unusual or strange when we go from praise to despair or despair to praise as we wrestle through this life and it enables us i think to have have light or have the light of hope that our god is is there even when he feels extremely distant from us 
we can know that he is not far off. And we can see this one who's walked through this, even at times where God felt distant, he begins with confidence, even at a time where he's in the midst of war and battle, where God feels, in one sense, truly distant from him. And we walk through that. We know that. There's days where, where we walk through a, a, a week, and we have a job at the beginning of the week, and we get to the end of the week, and we don't. And we're like, what is going on? Or we have um, sickness that invades again, or the loss of life in our family. And I was thinking of that, too, this week. There's a, a pastor in Fort Collins who uh, I'm friends with by other friends and, and Facebook friends who are, I, I don't really know him. Um, but over the last year and a half, he's walked through, um, his son has walked through uh, cancer, through leukemia, and was in remission. Um, but then this week, they found out, again, he has uh, cancers back in his body. And I just thought to myself, how would I, how do they walk through that? He even said, he said, we're trusting in the Lord, but we're not happy with his decision on this. And I'm like, yeah, how do you walk through that? And then yesterday I saw a post where he posted a picture of a rainbow was from children's, I assume, from one of the hospital where his son's being treated. And uh, a full rainbow. And he, and he said uh, that it was during the shift change of nurses, and he called them all over to the window, and he had them look at the rainbow. And he said, we have hope in promises um, we, we have hope in promises kept by a faithful God. And he, he just pointed to that. And I was like, I don't know how you do that in the midst of what you're walking through. But it's because he's resting on the foundation of who God is, even when God may feel very distant in one true sense to him at this moment. And we're reminded that we, we feel the effect of sin. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. Charles Spurgeon, he says it this way. He says, we all know that this world is... And um, world is an unpromising field of faith. According to our varied experiences, we must all subscribe to the declaration that this earth is more or less a valley of tears, that it is not our rest, um, far for it is polluted. There are too many thorns in this nest for us to be uh, to abide comfortably in. There's too many thorns for us just to comfort and rest because we feel the effects of sin so it's true so we shouldn't be surprised but we don't need to despair as either because we have a god who sent his one and only son jesus who was fully willing to to live the life we could not and and bear upon himself the suffering even of this world and the trials of this world and the sin our sin upon the cross but then rose again victorious over all sin and death and satan and and jesus even in the garden of gethsemane he said uh, to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful to the point, even to the point of death. He called them to remain and watch. So he knows our sorrow. So we're reminded, we're kind of drawn into that. And that we have a God who is in the midst, unshakable. So we'll walk through some of these, these verses and some of these truths about who God is. Psalm 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So we see this, then, that God is unshakable, the unshakable safety of our God, who's, who's our light, my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. He's a creator of all things. He, there's nothing impossible, no one greater than him. And we're reminded of that. And in this, we see, too, that there is this personal relationship with God. Again, it's my light, my salvation, not some distant, far-off 
God that maybe looks in every so often, but a God who reveals himself and, and draws us into relationship. He's not far off. My light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. And sometimes maybe we know kind of the concept of God as being a place of safety or salvation or stronghold or refuge, but we haven't walked in that personally. May that even be a challenge to know that God indeed is. It's not just a concept to hold, but one to to truly walk in and live in and know that indeed He is our salvation. So these different things. He says, my light. And here we see as God is our light, He's the opposite of that of of darkness, of confusion, kind of that muddled um, midnight blindness and kind of terror of the night. He is the opposite of that. He is our light. In darkness, when things are dark, I think everything seems just a little bit more terrible, (laughs) a little bit more ominous, a little bit more vulnerable when things are are dark and we need light to break in. I think of, um, it seems like in every movie or TV show, when there's a crime scene to go to, that individual says, I'm going to go, I'll go, I'll go by myself at night. It's always at night, and they go by themselves, and you're like, no, this is always bad, because we know the reality, just get in darkness, there's a vulnerability there, uh, and it kind of makes us on edge. And I think of David, he... It was just a couple years before there was electricity in their homes and light bulbs, right? Okay, okay, maybe, maybe a long, long time before. But I can only imagine that even in the time of David or before we have, it can easily just turn a switch on. There's even a more precious value of light. They understood it even a deeper way than probably we do. And I don't know if you've ever walked through a long period of, of uh, electrical outage and you're like, light is so important. <laughs> And we know that. So, and in the Bible, it speaks of light a lot of times with salvation. And we see it paired up here, but we see it in the New Testament as well. Think of when the apostle Paul, Paul, he, again, he persecuted the church, tried to crush the name of Jesus and the spread of Jesus. But then Jesus comes to him and he radically changes his life. And he gave him this call that Paul says in Acts 26, a call to open the eyes of those who are far from God, to open their eyes that they would turn from darkness to light, that they would turn from the power of Satan to God, that they'd be forgiven and be drawn in as, as a saint. And that was a, we see that often, that light and darkness were brought out by God and given salvation. And he continues and says, my God is my salvation. God is our ultimate salvation in this life and really for all eternity. That he is our rescue. Because we're clearly in a world where we need rescue, and he is the one that's called to rescue us. And here, David, he's in the midst of a battle. There's war going on. He's calling for deliverance and rescue from enemies that are, are pressing in on him. And he recognized that his only true salvation is the, is the Lord God. The only true, true light is the Lord God, and we'll see the only true refuge as well. But there's so many different, we've talked about this again and again and again. There's so many things that we flee to for our refuge and our salvation. Whether that be that of, of fame, or uh, now, now we're in a time where we can find instant, instant fame um, through through maybe through TikTok and YouTube. You can try to find it, and maybe that'll change my life a little bit. Um, get some wealth there. Or just accomplishes maybe accomplishments in our work. Maybe that would rescue us if I can just make this accomplishment. Maybe I can get this promotion that would rescue me. Or even in this world, even vices of this world that we go to from alcohol to marijuana or whatever it might be to to rescue us. 
but they just fall flat. They're ne- never true, unshakable salvations and light and refuges. We need our God and turn to Him. Think of Moses when God rescued His people from Egypt and took them across on dry land on, across the Red Sea and, and the people sang praise to God. And there was the song of Moses in Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Amen? And then he says, I'm the, He's a stronghold, the refuge of my life. And in the midst of war, you need a stronghold. You need a safe place where you cannot, where the enemy cannot get in, and you cannot be attacked, and you run to that place of refuge. And we need that. And when trials come in, We need a stronghold to run to. And the only true stronghold, the only one who's in control of all things is our Lord God. We can run to him. We need to be reminded of these things. David's saying, my light, my salvation. He's reminding himself. And we need to believe what we believe. Remind ourselves of the truth of these things so that when our world kind of breaks apart. We're reminded, no, He is our strength. He is our defense. He is our place of safety. We can abide in Him. As Christ said, abide in me and I will abide in you. And we're called to that. He's the one who rescues. And He's the only one that can ultimately rescue. All others are just, all other things that we might pursue after for rescue are just vanity. They're, They're fleeting. They're like mist that disappears. And then David describes a little bit the situation. He says, even evildoers assail me. They advance, his enemies advancing upon him. They're seeking to devour him, to eat up his flesh. And I think he's speaking figuratively of just destroy him. Enemies are coming at him to destroy, just ravish him, just to ruin him, to kill him. He says, my adversaries and foes, it is they, though, who are going to stumble and fall. They're the ones that are going to fall in the pit. It made me think of this week of, of Swiss Family Robinson um, from Disney. Maybe. I know it's, uh, this might be a spoiler, but it's, it's been out a, a few um, years. So, so there's this time where there's pirates coming to attack him. And I just think of that pit. Remember, they dig that pit and they put like a, a panther or something in there. And the, and the pirates get in there and they get in the panther. goes, ah, they run up. Anyway, I just think of that picture of... of if they're coming to attack and like, oh, well, just wait. Uh, in the end, um, our Lord is, is good and just and um, judges all evil rightly. And then the enemies, too, verse 3, they, the, the army encamps around him. They're surrounding him to attack and advance upon him. But he says, I, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. He's seen these three verses, just he has his confidence in the Lord. And he's speaking truth to his own heart. It's almost a little bit maybe at the, in the moment. Um, it's hard to believe these things, but I need to rest in them as we see a wrestling in the second part of the psalm. But he speaks confidence in the midst of, of trial, even when maybe his heart or emotions are saying something completely different. He knows who God is. He knows how God acts. And he's seeking to, to rest upon him, even, even if, if at the moment it feels a bit distant. And then again, we're going to hear this prayer of desperation. So we, we need to be those who continue to read God's word and remember and speak truth of God's word to ourselves and to one another. We need to allow the word of God to inform our thinking 
Um, when we have nothing left in us, when we're like, I don't even know how to think anymore. And we need to get, set ourselves before God's word, either listening to it or uh, coming and gathering together that we can encourage one another. And that we need the word of God when the emotions or the weight of trial can, can make these truths kind of feel distance. And we need brothers and sisters in Christ too. We need to gather together. We need to encourage one another. We need to hear of others who've walked through something similarly. And we're on the other side and still praising God and say, okay, there's hope here. Even this morning we did that responsive reading. Part of that is, is we're participating. We're speaking back and forth truth to one another. And sometimes our heart doesn't know what to say. So we look to God's word. And we sing and we speak. I, I think most of us, we haven't... I think most of us here have not been in a war situation or even uh, on the cusp of it. Uh, maybe a few, few of our, our older saints here during a time of, of World War Two and things and, and other wars and Korean wars and different things where things pressed in in a way that was unique. But most of us haven't experienced that in that way. Or I, I think of those, even those in Ukraine, those average citizens who are called up to battle. And I think, I don't even know. I just can't even fathom being in the midst of enemies coming to attack. And I think of brothers and sisters in Christ who who face real threat of death and persecution. And I think, would I still follow Christ? And, and we see as we look at them and look at their testimony that the Lord's, His day-by-day grace is sufficient. It's enough to, 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 when we abide in Him, that He helps us press on. I was thinking about this this week specifically um, with the voice of the martyrs. Some of you are familiar with them, that they help uh, those who are, are persecuted, brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted across the, the world. And um, there is, this month they had a magazine about Pakistan and just kind of looking at brothers and sisters in Christ in Pakistan where there is, there's just a small minority of believers there and the majority are Muslim and there's great persecution upon them where they get the lowest of the low of jobs and of just, just everything, and yet they continue to follow Christ because they know that there's no life anywhere else. It's like the disciples that Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And they're like, no, you have the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? I'm going to show just, I don't normally do this, but just a really short video of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Pakistan. Today in Pakistan, we Christians are second-class citizens. Though we have committed no crime, we are ostracized and banished. 
to the lowest place in society. Often we are forced to leave our villages and our own homes. We cannot get good jobs. And we have no voice in government. What is left for us is servitude. Sewage work. But we have a church, a place where Christians come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing his praise, to study his word. For while our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Sometimes it is not easy. The loss, the injustice. So please remember to pray for us. That we will continue to gather in fellowship. That we will continue to see the joy of the Lord in our lives and that we will persevere in our faith no matter the cost. And please remember, we are praying for you. I know better than to show videos like that. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're all now now, Dave, so he's not going to make it through it now. But so I show that um, uh, for us to be reminded of the persecution of brothers and sisters in Christ, but also be reminded um, these are brothers and sisters in Christ that could turn 
and follow Allah and be removed from the situation, but they don't because they know that their only hope is in Jesus. And we also see them gather together. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, there's such shelter um, in the people of God as we gather. So can God really be a stronghold in the midst of enemies attacking? The answer is yes. Yes, we have testimony of that here. We continue, verse 4. Verse 4, let me read it. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after him, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He will lift me high upon a rock. So we see even just that incomparable presence of God. We see that he is unshakable, but the presence of God and being in fellowship with him and and knowing his glory and being with his people is just incomparable. And he writes, I have one request, one desire. I seek out one thing that I'll be able to be in the house of the Lord, that I will be able to be in his shelter, in the temple, in the presence of God. And David, as he writes here, would have been the time where before the, the, the temple was built, but the tabernacle where the Lord demonstrated his presence, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to his people, where they would come to worship, come to offer sacrifice for their sin, but also come to hear the reading of, of the law of God's word. And they would gather with God's people and come in praise and thanksgiving and worship him. And he said, only, if I can only just gather again and be in your presence, that's the one thing I long for, to be with you. So David, he desires a fellowship with God, to be in right relationship with God, to be able to worship God, and be able to even, even receive the mercy and forgiveness found in the temple as they offered sacrifice. So there's great safety for him. There's great joy, just true joy, just breaking forth when he's in the presence of God and his glory and his fellowship, seeing who he is. This past week, um, Kelly had her, some of her family, had a, her younger sister and some cousins and nephews and dad, and we went up to Rocky Mountain National Park several times, and it's always fun. I, I don't know if you're like me, but we, we enjoy taking people who have never been up there to go up there, right? It's exciting. They're like, ooh, ah, wow. Um, now, I heard of one experience where that didn't quite happen, but, but it, it plays into my illustration where... What, now, say if we took them up there and they said, um, well, you know what, um, I, I, I kind of don't like these things. We're going to all keep our eyes closed. And kids, you've got to keep your eyes closed. You can't well, look at anything up here. You gotta, you, you, and we're like, look at that mountain. Well, I can't. I'm, I've got to keep my eyes closed. That would be ridiculous. I know. Why would you do that? That would be, be silliness. Uh, it's the same thing if we don't desire to know more of God and to be in fellowship with God who is a true life, true light, true salvation, who can be a salvation in the midst of a country where you're relegated to spend your days in the sewer. Uh, but you'd rather do that than deny and not be in the presence of your God and go to worship with God's people. There's something wonderful and good about our God. And then verses 5 and 6. We see the singular shelter. Who is our God? The only true shelter we have is the one true God. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And my head shall be lifted up. 
above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So we see that he goes to the Lord who hides him, who conceals him in his shelter. There's safety and he's lifted high above his enemies. He gets the high ground, right? His rescue there. also have this picture of just the shield, this protection. Um, I'm sure you've seen a, a, a superhero movie in the last, you know, five years or so, probably most of you, right? And there's always a scene where that superhero kind of shelters the vulnerable. <laughs> maybe they even, they become invisible even, maybe, and shelter them. There's a picture of just concealing, of protecting, but also lifting up above the enemies, that there's protection, there's um, rescue from harm, they're on a rock. And then he breaks forth in praise in the tent, in the sacred tent, in the tabernacle, and he brings praise and sacrifice to his God. He's rescued him. He's protected him. And we see that our only true shelter is found in our God. And the wars and trials, I think, can cause, can cause us to, to fear. But may it be such that it causes us instead to draw near to him in the midst of battle, knowing that our God does not abandon us, even in the midst of trial and difficulty. But he is, he's there with us. And knowing that... We, this life uh, uh, and, and our trials are not the destination, right? Our destination ultimately is, is with Jesus for all eternity with him. So there's a rescue that's seen, insurance that he sees in the truth of who God is and in his presence. Psalm 63, 1 through 3 says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. That steadfast, stubborn, no exit plan type love that God pours out upon us, it's better than life. My lips will praise you. He sees that. God is our shelter. Um, he's our help. He's our presence. And part of that is, too, I love that video where, where they said, hey, but, but we get to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get to sing, and we get to hear God's word, and, and there's just a change as they gather in that community that's resting in the one true God. And that's why we need to gather together. James Montgomery Boise says it this way. I found this is, this is helpful. It's, it's a several or several uh, sentences, so hang with me a little bit here. He says, let me put it this way. There's something to be experienced of God in church that is not, and he said, maybe church by the gathering, when we gather together, that is not quite so easily, easy to experience elsewhere. Otherwise, why have churches? It is only, if it is only institutions we need, we can get that, um, or I'm sorry, if it's only instruction that we need, we can get that well by any audio tape, or book, or now, you know, streaming anywhere, you know, online. Um, if it is only fellowship, well, we can find that equally, perhaps better in a small, small home gathering. There's something to be said for sheer physical singing of the hymns, the sitting in the pews, the actual looking to the pulpit and gazing upon the pulpit Bible as it is expounded, the 
tasting of the sacraments and the very atmosphere, the place that this place sets apart for worship of our God that is spiritually beneficial. Isn't that true? Haven't you found a sense of God's presence simply by being in God's house, that gathering together? I do not mean to deny that God can't and can and should be worshipped elsewhere, but I'm suggesting that the actual physical worship of God in the company of other believers can be can be almost that sacramental. It's a, a binding us to Christ as we gather together. And we need that. That's why we gather. Um, so we're reminded as we look through this, there are things in life that, that seem unshakable and they, become, they shake and we wonder, like, how are we going to walk through this? But we're reminded of our unshakable God whose presence is incomparable to any other and whose shelter is the singular shelter and refuge that we're called to in this life. And that first step is, too, of that, of following Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've, you've known much about Jesus. He's, maybe, maybe even, as it's been said before, you're a fan of Jesus, but you haven't actually become a follower of Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, turning from your sins and, and trusting him and following him. And there's a call today. It's so much sweeter than anything else that you have been or you could pursue. But friendship and a life with Jesus, we turn to him and trust him as our Lord and our Savior. And he calls us to come. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you this morning. We're reminded how, how blessed we are. How much you've given us even as we gather this morning and uh, we don't have to fear persecution as we leave. We, we do pray for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Pakistan. Lord, give them endurance. Help them to believe what they believe and help them as they even, uh, some maybe even gathering the, in the evening of this Lord's Day that you would be present with them and give them joy. Lord, help us to uh, be reminded that even in the midst of the battles that we are walking through personally, that, that you are not absent. Help us to believe what we believe. Help us to, to speak truth to our heart. Help us to be reminded that you are our light. You are our salvation. And that you are our refuge. Lord, we pray. Lord, help us to run to you and to not to other things this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.